0: Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of Castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 156, my number 156 is shown in this podcast, and today we're going to talk about fly casting. We're going to talk about a few concepts related to fly casting, and I totally appreciate and understand that fly casting is not great for spoken word, not great for written word. It's okay in photograph, it's better when you're able to watch a video, it's even more ideal if you're able to do that in person with somebody but actually in my opinion and just bear with me in my opinion fly casting is best taught and learned when you're able to go hands on with someone now this doesn't have to be like in happy gilmore where uh chubbs got kind of behind happy and was teaching him how to putt and was saying it's all on the hips I mean, it's a classic Adam Sandler film. I mean, really uh the the pinnacle of nineties of comedy cinema. But there there's something to that, but you don't have to go that far to teach or to learn fly fishing. Um but I guess the first thing that I, I wanted to, to talk about is if you are teaching somebody how to cast, or if somebody is teaching you how to cast, especially in those beginning stages, there is so much value in having your hand on their hand. Um or if the, the rod grip is large enough, uh, then having your, your hand completely adjacent to theirs. But even that isn't ideal. You know, don't, you're not going to get cooties from touching someone's hand. Of course. I mean, if you're teaching it to kids in a school or you're doing it with somebody of the opposite gender and it could get awkward, you know, if, if, if use, use your judgment. But ideally, all things being equal, everyone having pure motives, uh, you not being creepy, them not being creeped out, the best thing to do is have your hand over their hand and cast as, as well as you can so that they can feel that rod load. They can feel what that line does to that rod. It is the most important aspect of fly casting. Um, because you can stand there with somebody and say, you know, square your hips up, um, stop, uh, stop bending your wrist so much, uh, move your elbow into the side of your body. You can make those adjustments uh, just with, with optics, and you can you can have them look at themselves in a the mirror and say, am I lining up the way that I'm supposed to line up? But unless they can feel that fly line load that rod, then they are not going to be able to cast well. And I think you've probably had that experience yourself. If you are a new fly fisher, if you can think back the the years or the decades since you started fly fishing in that very beginning stage, people want to make that rod move completely irrespective of what that fly line is doing so if they can learn what those cues are they can feel that line load the rod then they're going to be in a great place and i would even say this is true if you are a decent caster or a good caster but you're trying to improve something in your cast then this is something you can ask somebody to do for you you can you can say to a friend or to maybe a a casting instructor or a guy be like hey can you mind just like grabbing this and like like making that cast you know, I know I'm having difficulty at this length. Could you maybe show me where I need to make my application of power? And that can really give you uh, a benefit in that moment. It's not the easiest thing to do. And it really takes somebody who has a a good cast because what they're having to do is they're trying to leave you in a good position or what you're trying to do to the person that you are um, teaching how to cast is you're leaving that person in that right position. Remember everything, uh, feet, uh, hips, and shoulders, and then elbow, and uh, and and, and um, wrist need to be in the right position as it relates to to making a good cast. And the person who is going hand over hand, who is showing some, you you how to cast, or you're showing them how to cast you're going to be in a more awkward position. So you're actually probably making a cast um, you know, uh, laterally. So you're not casting uh, uh, straight out in front of you. You're casting off to your right or, or to your left if you're left-handed. But as you become a more advanced caster, as you're able to, to make some of those more complicated casts that are going to force you to deviate away from that proper body positioning, then one of the benefits of being able to do that to you know accommodate a difficult situation that you find yourself in is that you're also able to help somebody learn um, without being all upon them so okay that that might seem like a bizarre thing to start with but i think it is a valuable valuable thing to to um, have in your toolkit if you're teaching your child how to fish if you're teaching your spouse how to cast if you are casting um in in a, a setting where you can show people how to do it for me i can i i remember a uh, kind of a, a grizzly old guy i mean it was nothing creepy it was like i felt like okay this is this guy knows exactly what he's doing but i was probably 15 or 16 and i just couldn't get my cast where i wanted to, to get it i was able to get it out there but you know i was really hitting some diminishing points as a teenager about trying to get my my cast out accurately to a certain distance and he just grabbed it and i just remember these big old rough hands But he was able to really kind of hold the fly rod and really not squish my hand. And he was able to make a perfect cast. And I could feel, okay, that's the point where I begin to make my application of power. It's not when I feel the full weight of the fly line unrolling out behind me, like I might feel when I'm making a 20 or 25 foot cast. But at 35 and 40 feet, I have to anticipate that line unrolling, and so I'm not waiting for the full weight of that line to flex that tip down into the midsection of the rod. I have to anticipate and begin to make my forward motion, begin to make my forward application of power prior to the weight of that line unrolling. So I can kind of feel the tension building, 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 and that's when I make that application of power. And he was able to do that because he was an experienced caster. Similar thing. Uh, Later in life, I was in my 20s. I was really trying to work on getting some really, really uh, good distance skill into my cast, and the exact same thing. Fortunately, this guy was left-handed, and so he just kind of walked up to me and was standing parallel uh, with me, and he was able to do something very, very similar. And you can do all, all sorts of things. I know I've been talking about this for like five or six minutes, but seriously, this is something that if you're teaching your kid or, or somebody else to cast, this can be incredibly valuable. Just having your hand there uh, for somebody who might go far, way too far back. Again, that's one of those beginner, beginner errors where someone, you know, they, they're not doing 10 to 2. They're doing 3 to 9. Uh, and you're able to put your hand in there because they're used to maybe whipping a, a spinning rod where you'd go as far back as you can and they go and then whip it forward. And so they're jerking that thing back and forth and you're able to use your hand or arm as a physical stop to force them to stop that that uh, their, their backward cast, their forward cast. And in doing so they they realize, okay, I can't go back that far so maybe I need to speed it up to, to build up that line speed. So that's my first kind of casting mechanic tip. And I know that this might not be something that you're, well, it is not something that you're going to be able to employ to improve your cast, but it's something that you can do to improve someone else's cast, or you can ask somebody to do to improve your cast. You might think it's crazy. You might think it's totally non, you know, untraditional, and you might think it's even a little bit weird, but. I'm here to tell you this is how I'm show my kids how to cast. It's show I've shown friends how to cast, and uh, you know if you're creeped out by it, I think that's probably a you issue, or maybe you're just you're creepier yourself. But I'm not going to assume that about my audience. So that's the first thing. I guess all that spawned out of the fact that that me talking about casting is probably the 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 worst way to learn about it, and someone going hands on with you is the best way to learn about. It. But moving on to my my second casting mechanic thing. Uh learn how to control your backcast. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk about my appreciation for fast action, light line, short fly rods, which seems a little bit contradictory. You know, you say, well, if you're gonna be fishing these tiny little streams, then you're gonna be using tiny little flies, and you're gonna be catching tiny little brook trout, why not use a six and a half foot full flex rod? Well, I I have those rods and they're a lot of fun. Uh, I just don't want to use those all day on tight streams where i'm going to be having to make longer or accurate casts if the fish are are in in certain creeks and there's a lot of them like this where are are they're not particular at all and i can make short casts then i'm happy to use a full flex rod Um, or if i'm using a rod on a stream that is totally wide open again i can use a full flex rod you know, you can, you ought to learn how to cast far on a fast rod and on a slow rod, but on a stream that requires longer casts or has tight, uh, uh riparian buffers, you know, over, overhanging branches, kind of a little tunnel situation, or even a high, high gradient stream where, you know, if you are moving up waterfalls and behind you, the, the, the stream side of vegetation, even if they're trees are now kind of at your level, then a fast action Short and lightweight fly rod allows you to control your back cast, but it's not just in that situation where controlling your back cast matters. Um, can you lay out a perfect, not perfect, but within reason, a decent, a presentable uh, 30 foot cast by casting your fly line virtually straight above you, just a, you know, maybe 10 or 15 degrees shy of 90 degrees straight up in the air say what's the point of doing that well maybe maybe uh you you don't have a a spay cast skill or equipment um, but you're going to run into situations where there's stuff behind you you have your back up against a rock wall uh you have your back up against if you in in an urban setting you know fishing for carp this is a super helpful tactic to have um where you you throw that line straight up in the air before you make your, your cast. Um, there's a couple different casts where, where this comes into play. One, you build up line speed and get length out by casting back and forth, so to your left and to your right, because you have something behind you impeding your cast. And then, um, so if, if you're a right-handed caster, you're building up line speed, and you're increasing your distance and length, and your false casting just left and right, so you're casting to your right, casting to your left, and then you go to the left and your final false cast, then you go straight up in the air, you do a haul straight up in the air, and before, right at the apex of that line, so as it's starting to unroll, then you make your forward cast. And, uh, you have to have a higher trajectory for that cast. You can't aim it straight out in front of you. If you do that, it's going to splash down. If, if it's like a 35 foot cast, maybe like 20 feet in front of you, it'll splash straight down. But again, you, you build up that speed going left and right. And then you go left as your last, um, false cast straight up in the air with a haul straight up. And then right as that is at the apex of unrolling, you have a high trajectory, maybe 45 degrees, maybe a little little shy of 45 degrees, straight out in front of you, and that line is able to drop down. So it's not going to be for crazy long distances. I mean, you're not going to be able to do cute single-hand casts in situations like this where you have something behind you and get that same kind of distance that you would get if you were to use a double-handed, some sort of spay cast, but there are ways around it. Um, but can you control your, your, your back cast in that way is really what that comes down to. That's one example, one practical real world example where it's not just some sort of, of practice technique. Uh, Um, coaching soccer right now, I don't know anything about soccer, uh, but I, I do know some of the fundamentals, um, ball control and, uh, and, and how to, how to move dribbling. And so I've been telling these kids, I mean, they're, they're, it's U10, so they're nine and 10 year olds, um, you know. Guys and girls, the way that you practice is going to be the way that you play, and the drills that we do have meaning on game day on Saturday because those fundamentals that you're doing in these silly things around cones with, you know, us blowing the whistle and making you run to this spot and that spot, you do that in practice then you do the exact same thing in the game and you're going to be successful because you have the muscle memory you have the, 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 the concepts that are not just oh, I'm going to go out and play soccer the same thing is true with fly casting if you go in your backyard and you try to throw a bat cast straight up in the air behind you or you try to make a, uh, a bat cast really low on the water or you have it go off to one side or another or you allow a very very wide loop in your back cast. Um, a real open loop. So again, I'm, I know this is like a caveat within a caveat, but you know, you're, you're looking for a tight loop uh, when, you, when you cast, because what that means is that that line is moving at a path that utilizes that energy most efficiently. So this is uh, you look at a logo of somebody casting and, or you look at an image of, of somebody casting on a magazine or on a, on a website for a fly rod, this is when that line is kind of moving parallel with itself as it's moving backwards um, behind somebody or it's unrolling in front of them. It's that kind of tight little loop. You don't want it closed. You never want that, that fly dipping down towards that line as it's passing it. So the line that's moving out behind you, that fly ought to be moving parallel with the line that is is closer to your rod tip. Again, you know you, you can visualize it and see what I'm talking about. If that is really wide, where that fly is coming at a downward angle, and your line is parallel with the ground, then that is an open loop. So it is a not an obtuse angle, but it is a, a wider angle and then a tailing loop is is really bad because this is where you get lots of tangles and that is where your fly is actually underneath that line that is moving um back forward as your fly line is unrolling behind you again not super easy to describe you know you're having to listen to i'm trying to trying to make sense of of the words but Can you control those things? Can you purposely throw a tailing loop? Can you purposely throw an open loop? Those are great things to practice. If you, you know, I'm recording this in November, uh, not a great time of year to go out into the backyard, but if you have access to a gym, if you have access to a large room or a pole building or a barn or something like that, or you're just out casting, you don't mind being hardcore. Go out and, and cast. And again, another caveat don't do practice casting on anything icy. Don't do it on frozen grass, don't do it on snow, don't do it on ice, don't do it on a frozen pond. The nature of, of ice crystals, whether they be on frozen grass or in snow or on ice, they are incredibly abrasive, and your really, really nice fly line will not appreciate it. You would be better to drag that across dirt and gravel than to drag it across ice. Anyway, a lot have to say, if you can get out and practice, practice throwing open loops, and practice throwing tailing loops, especially on your back cast. Get to know what that feels like to have a tailing loop behind you, because you you're hopefully paying attention in front of you. It's it's I think I mentioned this about another concept, so I apologize for using the same analogy um, within a few weeks for different for things. But you know when you're typing, are you looking at your fingers? When you start to type, you're looking at your fingers but as you mature in your typing, uh, as you type more and more, what are you looking at? You're looking at the words as they pop up on the screen, or you get really advanced, and you're, you're looking at the, the, the paper to your left or the person you're talking to, uh, and you are typing and you have such great confidence that you're actually typing uh, what you mean to be typing, and uh, you know, Autocorrect uh, does a really good job for you as well. The same thing is true with your cast. You can definitely look over your shoulder and watch your cast. You can make sure it's a good cast, or for the purposes of this uh, training exercise, you are th- seeing that you are um, casting too quickly, and in doing so, you are throwing a really, really wide loop, or you're slowing it down too much, and it's tailing, or any variation therein. Now, a real quick, just note on what I just said, uh, y- you know, you are aren't always going to have that be the dynamic. There are many, many more available variables than line speed and application of power that create tailing loops and create loops that are too wide open. Um, but again, you play with it. You can figure those out. Where is your elbow? Um, where is your, uh, your, Where are your hips? Are you turning too much? But just mess around with your cast. I guess that's really the purpose of what I'm saying here. Mess around with your cast, and especially mess around with your back cast, because that's something that you're not gonna be watching when you're watching for fish rise, when you're keeping an eye on on what's going on in front of you. Uh, When you're trying to stay stable in water, that might be a little bit faster. But if you can can figure out what a tailing loop feels like, what a, a open loop feels like, and most importantly, what a good, tight loop feels like, then you're going to be able to have that muscle memory and begin to associate certain flexes of your rods and weight of your line on your rod tip with the, the proper casts. But that also means going back to kind of the introduction of this versus like you know level after level after level of caveats. I apologize, but that's how the my brain works quite frequently. But that means that you're able to control your back cast and you are able to keep it out of streamside vegetation. You're able to generate line speed on situations where a bunch of false casting is just not possible for spooky fish or things like that. Um, but if you can really you know, lift up your line, uh, push it back behind you, make a short false cast forward, and then do a really powerful or uh, a really accurate back cast and then do maybe it's a haul or maybe it's just a really crisp forward cast to put that thing out there. You will find yourself, first of all, saving a lot of time. We waste so much time false casting, just whipping that thing around for no reason. And secondly, you'll find yourself spooking a whole lot less fish because the, the fewer times that they have something passing over their head, the better for them. So really learn to control your back cast. All right. It seemed like, like I covered a lot more than just you know going hands on and uh, and and learning how to backcast. But those are both really important things. Again, one is more of an educational thing for somebody else, and the other is more of an educational thing for yourself. But both of these things, whether you are a brand new caster, and if you're a brand new caster, I'm sure I used terminology that was not particularly clear. Um, and I apologize. Feel free to shoot me an email, Matthew casting cross. What in the world did you mean? I'm happy to clarify. I'm also happy to send you to some resources. There's some great videos. Um, Orvis has awesome videos on, on casting. Um, you know, I'm more than happy for you to hear this and be like, Matthew just made me more confused. I'm going to go watch, uh, Pete Kutzer or or, somebody else, you know, actually cast. Awesome. Great. Go ahead and do that. And then the second thing uh, with with a back cast, that's more whether you're brand new or whether you've been doing this for a long time, if you can find ways to cast better in adversity, it's kind of like doing uh, sit-ups hanging from a pull-up bar with a bunch of 45-pound plates strapped to your stomach. If you do some really awkward maneuvers, then when you're out on the river, Then you have built up the muscle memory and you've built up the uh, flexibility to do things in a a much better way. So, Casting Mechanics, Casting Practice, episode 156. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Three Reasons for Better Fishing in Bad Weather. Three Reasons for Better Fishing in Bad Weather. I like fishing in bad weather. Well, let me take that back. In hindsight, I like fishing in bad weather. When I wake up in the morning and it's bad weather, I am not super pumped about it. That being said, I don't have all the luxury in the world to reschedule fishing dates here, there, and everywhere, which means that I end up fishing in bad weather. And I find that I catch a lot of fish in bad weather. Now, this could be some sort of confirmation bias. It could be just, you know, luck of the draw, uh, providential trout. But I think that there are some legitimate reasons why fishing is better on foggy, rainy, snowy days. And so I talk about three of those on this article. And then Wednesday's article was called The Dog-Eared Pages of October Christmas Catalogs. The Dog-Eared Pages of Outdoor Christmas Catalogs. Now, this was a fun article to write. And I did it on the day that my family received the Cabela's Bass Pro Shop Christmas catalog. And my boys and I immediately sat down and went through it and found some of the most ridiculous things. And we also found things like, okay, that's actually a pretty cool idea for for myself, for them, for somebody else. And there's just something about a catalog, especially a Christmas catalog, that is nostalgic, first and foremost, uh, but also has just a lot of value you can find anything, everything on the internet these days, but to be able to hold something, touch it for my kids who are, who who they read a lot. I mean, my, my, my boys are in books all the time. Um, but when it comes to shopping, they're used to just like, you know, Hey dad, does this exist? And we Google it and it's right there. Um, we don't go to the store a whole bunch. Um, but for them to have a catalog and to like go through and turn pages and see things and point to it and, and actually do a dog gear, put a little post-it note. It's a lot of fun for them. and It reminds me of doing that back when I was a kid. I remember it was, you know, mark out virtually every page of Legos and then circle the ones that I wanted. Um, the, uh, you know, NFL kid uh, uniform kits and and um, starting lineup action figures and stuff like that every year, lots and lots of that. So to, to be able to share that with them is cool and it's also nostalgic for me. Oh, fun thing, you can, if you are a kid of the 70s, uh, or 80s or 90s, there are websites that have those giant, like 500-page Sears wish books scanned in on PDF files, and you can flip through them. So that's maybe a good thing to do if you can't fall asleep. I, it seems like quite the waste of time during the middle of the day, but uh, go ahead and uh, Google that, and you can find it. I'm not I'm not sure where to find it. It's not going to be my recommendation for this week on the podcast, but it's definitely a fun thing to check out. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the Bench Basin from Vitavoo. The Bench Basin from VidaVoo. If you tie flies, then this is an indispensable product to have. What it is is a pop-up bowl that you can use for all sorts of stuff. Uh, it is primarily designed to have sitting underneath your vise, So as you trim stuff, you just drop it. And it doesn't go onto your table, onto your pants, onto your carpet, and everything stays in there. It it sits up um, about uh, uh, four inches deep um, and it folds down to a little like seven by five inch pouch. And you can fold it down with a bunch of stuff in it. You don't have to empty it every time. There's times where I've got the thing just so stuffed, it looks ready to burst. Uh because it's got feathers and marabou, you know, tails and um, you know all sorts of gunk in there, uh all the trash from from you know hooks that I, I used the last one on the package. But it's just a great little product. It keeps my bench clean, it keeps my table clean. You can use it for all sorts of stuff you want to. It'd be a great like little dog bowl or or even I think it's waterproof because it's got the the PVC um, uh, material. You can use it as a portable water bowl for your dog, but it's 35 bucks. And the best thing about it is it's handmade to order in the USA. This is a great gift to give somebody who is a fly tire who might have everything. Um, And maybe they've been trying to utilize some sort of uh, like clip on the vice uh, trash can those things get in this get in the way. This you can put it right where you know that person's um, right or left hand comes off of their vice. If you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if, if you are tying, you have a, a direction that your right hand would go or your left hand would go depending if you're right handed or left handed. And wherever your materials are, you can put it right there. So as you finish a product or a fly, you can take whatever's left over and just drop it right there and, and get rid of it. Awesome product. I have a couple of them, and uh, I, I have one next to my vice all the time. I will put a link to the Vitavu Bench Basin and the show notes of this podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and leave a review on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.